Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We echo the words of Moses when he said, your presence is what distinguishes us from all the other people in the earth. We thank you that we can gather in a room like this and we could gather for the sole purpose of worshiping, honoring, exalting your name. We come into this place gathering in your name, Lord God. We thank you that we have opportunity and we have various outlets in our time together to not only offer praise and worship, but to hear your voice. We pray this morning that we would do just that. Pray that your scripture would come alive to us and that each one of us uh, listening and watching today would hear something from you and hear something from your word that would encourage us and strengthen us in our walk. I pray that you'd give me words that are yours. You'd fill my mouth with the words of life and that you would enable me to speak what it is that you would speak if you were standing here. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we've we've actually heard an awful lot already this morning. Um, we're continuing with uh, our Psalms, series in Psalms. And as I said last Sunday, we're going to conclude our study of Psalms in Psalm 78. Uh, now, last Sunday, we began that study, <clears throat> and uh, we'll probably go today plus two more, if I'm if I see it right, um, and then then we'll conclude the summer quote unquote summer series of Psalms, and we will we will take that up again next summer, maybe May or June. Go back to catching some more Psalms. As I said last Sunday, we talked about tell the coming generation, and I obviously cannot and will not even attempt to go back and redo that message. It's available in several outlets that you could go back and watch or listen to. Tell the coming generation, and it begins at the at the beginning of, of uh, Psalm seventy-eight. Uh, he says, "We'll tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, His might, and so forth." Um, and then it concluded, in last Sunday, we concluded in verse 8, uh, so that they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. That's the key to this psalm. It's so that the, the coming generation would not repeat the mistakes of the prior generation. Fact is, every generation makes mistakes. I don't care who you are. And it is incumbent upon the next generation or the coming generations to see what errors and what mistakes has been made and ask God to help us correct those and avoid, and while we're making our own, avoid the ones that has already been done. And so, in this psalm and other psalms like it, other passages like it, we learn from their errors. We learn from their mistakes. Um, now, this is not an occasion to focus on them and their mistakes. 
Are you a bunch of knuckleheads? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, we want to do that, but this is not the time to do that. And that's not the intent of this message. The fact is, in context of this psalm, in the context of time, we, everybody say we, we are the coming generation. This psalm was written a long time ago. And here we are, 2023, reading what our spiritual, in some cases physical, ancestors did. And we're learning from their mistakes. And we are the coming generation. And so it is incumbent upon us to look at this psalm and not criticize the mistakes they made, but flip that around to the positive and adopt what God was after and what what, what concerned God. We are the coming generation. And it, that continues on through history. Psalm 78, we'll begin reading in verse 9. If you would stand, if you can, and you will. I'm, I'm just going to read through verse 16. It's a long psalm. I'm not going to try to do it all. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. And he made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. You can be seated. So we have the first eight verses basically saying, now tell the next generation. And then we, then we begin from verse nine on through verse 72, we begin to see examples of what God is after and what God was not after. And he addresses in verse 9 the Ephraimites. Now, that's obviously one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But often, and I think in this case, when you see that term, it's not limited to that tribe. That tribe, in this case, is considered to be the lead tribe of Israel. And by this time, the nation of Israel had been... Uh, I'm not going to go into it, but it had been turned into two kingdoms rather than one. And one kingdom is, we call it the northern kingdom, which was Israel. And the other kingdom was the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Ten tribes of Israel, two tribes of Judah. And at some point, and this is, you know, this is just a historical thing. At some point, the northern tribe disappears. How does it disappear is that it began to be assimilated by the Assyrians through time. And so instead of Israel, you wound up having Samaritans, which was the mixed race thing. But God is speaking to the the northern, I think the the northern tribe, the northern nation of Israel in this psalm when he says Ephraimites. Now, it, it, it alludes or actually speaks of a battle. 
no one really knows, that I read anyway, no one really knows if this was an obscure battle, because there's nothing else in Scripture that would let us know that where this battle took place. It's either an obscure battle or it's not an actual battle, but it's a metaphor of their behavior. Either way, the lesson applies. The first thing he says about the Ephraimites is that they were armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. In the actual Hebrew there, it says armed and shooting, shooting the bow. I was reading that and I said, hmm, they were armed. They were armed with adequate weaponry in that day. Now, in their case, they they turned back from a physical battle. They withdrew, and the Lord is saying, and Asaph is saying, even though they had adequate weaponry, they still turned back because they did not have any courage. They lacked courage. They turned, and actually in the Hebrew it says they fled. They ran away. And as I was looking at that, okay, Lord, what do we learn from that? Well, for one thing, you and I have the adequacy that we need to do this Christian life. I hear people, well, this is really hard. Well, it's hard in the sense that we, that our flesh wants to fight us. But Second Peter 1, 3 tells us that his divine power has granted to us Everything. Everybody say everything. See that? I don't know about you, but that kind of does, that doesn't leave anything out. He's granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness. We're armed with the bow. What are we armed with? With God's divine nature. Because he goes on to say that we have become partakers of God's divine nature. When did that take place? Well, James was telling you. At some point, you say to God, yes, to the Holy Spirit, and through a miracle that we can't explain, we become converted. And I don't mean just converted in our thinking or converted in our attitude, but we become converted in our inner man. And there's actually a transformation that takes place. A, a spiritual experience takes place. Ephesians says we were once dead, now we're alive. That's something that took place. And because we do that, we are partakers of God's divine nature. And he says because of that, we've escaped corruption. And so you and I have the wherewithal to be, to walk out this Christian life in victory. We don't have to be beat up all the time. We don't have to lose every week. Our problem is we turn back. Our problem is we don't, we don't face the situation in the power of God. Romans 7, if you, that's going to sound familiar if you watched the midweek video last week. Said, Paul said, I delight in the law of God. He said, in my, I really delight in the law of God. Then he said, but I also recognize there's another war. There's another Waging war, my flesh. We have this, Paul said, we have this battle going on. 
that I, I really want to do what God wants me to do, but my flesh wants me to do something else. What am I going to do? Paul said, as again in the, in the uh, midweek video I dealt with this, but he said, who's going to deliver me from this wretched man? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Ephesians 6 teaches us that we wrestle against or battle against the spiritual forces of evil. We wrestle against forces outside of the parameters of, of the natural world. We think, we think that guy on Facebook is our enemy. We think that's who we're fighting. Well, that may be part of it, but ultimately, if you're really in a battle, the root of that battle is your enemy. The one who would love to be your accuser before the throne of God. We wrestle again. But even in Ephesians 6, Paul says, but you've got an armor. God has given you an armor. A helmet of salvation, a belt of truth, and so forth. Breastplate of righteousness. He also says that part of our armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The rhema Word of God. And so, we have no excuse for laying around, being beat up by the devil, and being and succumbing to our flesh, we have no excuse because we have the wherewithal. You do. So, well, I'm weak. You know, weaker than the weakest person, and the weakest person has the same wherewithal that you do, and I do. Everything that we need for life and godliness, we've been provided. The second thing it says about them is that they kept not God's covenant. They didn't keep his covenant. God's a covenant God. Everything God does is in the realm and in the context of covenant. Uh, covenant is a bond that God has established to join his people to himself and to join his people together. In our culture today, we don't totally understand the concept of covenant, except in the marriage covenant, and obviously we don't understand that all that great. But God established covenant so that we, not just that we would know him, which is very important, but that we would be, and watch this word, we don't like this, we would be bound to him. We would be joined to God with something better than Gorilla Glue. A covenant that God himself would never break. I don't think God has the ability to break covenant because that's his nature. Covenant requires responsibility by both parties. If there's going to be a covenant... Both parties must enter into the covenant, and both parties must do their part. I can promise you God is doing his part, and God will do his part. I can't promise you that we will always do our part. He said they have not kept God's covenant. They have not honored the covenant that God made with their ancestors. He he speaks of them in 2 Kings. He said they rejected his 
they, Israel and Judah, they rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. The Lord had commanded, I'm sorry, following the surrounding nations, the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. Now here's a key. They followed worthless idols. The ESV says they, they followed what was false and they became false. There's several words used in several versions, but they all say the same thing. There's a place in the scripture that says whatever you worship, that you will become. They followed worthless idols, and so they became worthless. Which, by the way, gives us encouragement because when we follow God Almighty, we we function, somebody's at my house, we function with worth. Then he said, they followed the surrounding nations. Followed the surround. Which means they weren't following God. But they were getting into, everybody's doing it. This is 2023. Don't you understand that ever, this is, things have changed. And so we're going, this other nation over here, we like what they're doing. So we're going to start doing what they, and God said, I, I, I commanded you to leave them alone. How did they disregard God's covenant? Well, we don't know exactly, but we get a clue. When he says they refused to live according to God's prescribed way of living. He said they, in verse, uh, something you got to have glasses. Yeah, stuff. They, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law, according to his ways, according to his prescribed ways. And I don't, I don't know why the Lord has me keep revisiting this thing about Our living according to his prescribed way is the only place we walk in blessing and provision. And when we depart from that is when we we understand the removal of blessing. Do you understand that some blessing from God is conditional? Salvation is not conditional. But blessing of God, I mean, is conditional. Go to Deuteronomy 28. You have about 14 verses or so of receiving the blessing from God. And then you got like 63 about what's going to happen when you don't be or aren't obedient to God because it's conditional. Human nature comes into play because in Isaiah 53, it says each of us, each of us has turned to his or her own way. This is this is what we fight in our flesh. This is what our quote unquote human nature wants to do. We want to turn to our own way. But he has laid on him the iniquity or the lawlessness of us all. And Psalm 2 tells us, and we covered this not long ago, the people of the world say, let us cast off the restraints. Let us cast off the fetters. Let us cast off that which would control us. 
And don't you know that we, Bible-believing, blood-washed, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, don't you know that we at times have to battle this notion of God's controls, of God's restraints? And then he says, they forgot. They forgot. They for, he says they they forgot his works. Now, I don't know so much that this is, that they just had a memory lapse. I don't think they were sitting around one day and, and somebody said, you remember that, that guy? I don't think it was that. I think it was out of sight, out of mind. They forgot. Uh, we just sang a few minutes ago, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to, we all, if we don't watch it, if we allow ourselves to drift, we're all prone to wander. We're all prone to leave the God that we love. That doesn't mean we're, you know, going to abandon God, run off and lose our salvation. It means that we walk away from that fellowship that produces that blessing. Then we, the song said, take my heart and seal it with your spirit from above. That should be our posture. Recognizing that if we, if we, uh, uh, if we draw from our own humanity, we will be prone to wander. He said, they have forgotten his works and not just his works, but his works toward them. His works that he had done with them, for them and to them. Again, we're talking about Israel, what God had done with them, and the wonders that he had shown them. And we talked about last week that when God does wonders, it makes you wonder, how in the world is this possible? How did that happen? How did that happen to me? How did God redeem that situation when I thought the flames were Licking my behind, and I don't mean that in a, you know, I mean that it was feeling the heat. And then one day I turned around and looked, there were no flames, and there was no issue. I wonder how God did that. Well, what we ought to be wondering is, why would God do that? And I'll tell you why. Back to what James said. God so loved the world, and you're a part of that. Deuteronomy 8 is a, a great passage on do not forget the Lord God. It says you shall remember that God has led you. And I want us today to remember, remember that God has led your life. So I'm not sure I like where he led me. Well, either you need to learn what he like to like what he does, or maybe you have led yourself somewhere you know how it is. We, we do what we want to do. And then when everything gets messed up, we say, boy, God, why'd you let me do this? Where were you, God? He said, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. And here's how what he said in Deuteronomy 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. By not keep. See, we don't like commandments. We don't like people or gods telling us what to do. 
because we're Americans. We're free. And yet, there's life in doing what God says. I said last week, it's not because God is prudish and not because God is intent on our not having a bit of fun. It's because God cares about you. And again, the reason you don't let your children, when they're little, go out and play in the middle of the highway is because you love them, not because you don't want them to have any fun. It's the same thing with God. He said, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. I mean, that's, it's, it's simple, but it's not simple. Because our flesh does not want us to obey God. Our flesh wants us to feed it. Our flesh wants us to do things to satisfy the yearnings of our flesh. And Paul said, Paul himself, two-thirds of the New Testament said, Man, every time I turn around, the thing that I want to do, I don't do it. And the things that I, I, de- I determine I'm not going to do it, I do it. Because there's this war. And they forgot. He said, in the sight of their fathers, they perform wonders. In the midst, don't miss this, in the midst of the bountiful blessings from God, and we would have to recognize that they experienced bountiful blessings. We'll deal with some of that next Sunday. They forgot the Lord God. And we, and I don't have a mouse in my pocket, so it's including you too. We have a tendency sometimes in the midst of God's bountiful blessings in our lives, we forget. Now we don't forget when everything's tough, when things are, when things are, are, are slim, when things are scarce, and when we're facing issues, we don't forget God as much during those times. But when God pours out His blessing on our lives, sometimes we forget. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 8 addresses that. He said, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth, this success. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is he who gives you the power to be successful. It is he who gives you the ability to produce. And yet what we do when we're productive, we say, hallelujah, I'll call on your God if I need you. Not recognizing that even that very productivity came from the hand of God. That's what we do. And so then he reminds them that, hey, there's this little matter of this place called the Red Sea. They forgot. You heard this, somebody saying the Red Sea was really the Reed Sea and it was only 18 inches deep. Well, yeah, that's what somebody said. Yeah, we're talking about a miracle. Drown all that army in 18 inches of water. <laughs> he divided the sea and let them pass through it. And made the water stand like a heap. I want you to recognize that they, of course, were leaving Egypt. They got to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh woke up. 
he become woke. <laughs> and he took off after them. And I was, as I was reading this, it, it occurred to me that Pharaoh's horsemen were close enough for the children of Israel to see them. Now, if you, if you've never watched the, the original Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments, you should. It was a very great production. They do this pretty well because you think, I've watched that thing a dozen times, and I still think every time Pharaoh's army is going to get there. I don't want to spoil it for you, but. But they saw them. And again, in the movie, they do a great job because the children of Israel think, oh boy, this is it. Here they come. We see them. They're right on us. And, and they begin to complain. Because at what seemed like the last minute, how many of you understand God has no last minute? We say God is never late, but he's rarely early. They began to say, hey, why did you bring us out of Egypt just to come out here and get slaughtered by Pharaoh's army? Were there no graves back there in Egypt? That's literally what they said. Are there no graves? And the writer and the Holy Spirit is reminding them, don't you? They walked over on dry land. And then once they got over, on the other side, and Pharaoh's armies began to chase them. Then the walls of water collapsed. Exodus 15 has a great song about that. I mean, I mean, you, you got people singing Bible songs about the horse and rider was drowned in the sea. That's not very woke. But they were very dead because God saved his people. And yet here they are in Psalm 78, whatever, whatever the time frame is, here they are and they've forgotten. Your ancestors, man, they had it. They were, they were up against it. And right when they knew it was over, God redeemed them. They went on the other side and made a monument. Of course, they started arguing then too. Started complaining. Then he says, and of course we're not going to get into all that. He says, in the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. We, old King James says, a pillar of fire. He led them with a cloud by day and a light of fire by night. He led them. Uh, Albert Barnes in his commentary said, the cloud would not be visible by night, nor would the fire be a good guide by day. And hence, the form of the symbol was changed. The same thing, however, was intended by both. And together, they were standing proofs of the presence of God. The form of the symbol was changed. The fire and the cloud accomplished the same thing. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking for a cloud when God is now using a fire, are we worshiping the cloud? 
Or are we worshiping the fire? Or are we worshiping the God who leads us by varying vehicles, by varying sources? Now, today, we don't have a a cloud leading us. We don't have a fire leading us. We have the Holy Spirit leading us. The Holy Spirit will speak to you in numerable or innumerable ways. Don't be, don't worship the ways. Don't worship the way God speaks to you. You've heard me tell the story about the old lady who got up one morning, early six o'clock, went into her kitchen, made a baker of biscuits. Boy, that sounds good. My mama used to do that. Shoved it in the oven, knelt down beside her stove, began to pray, and God baptized her in the Holy Spirit. A few days later, she was telling her friend about this, and her friend said, boy, I sure would like to. I wish God would baptize me in the Holy Spirit too. How do you think I I could? She said, well, I'll tell you how you can do it. Get up at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Make you a baker of biscuits and put them in the oven. You know, that's how we think. Don't be married to how God sends the word. Be married to the God who sends the word. And what he was trying to tell them was they were never abandoned by God. At the Red Sea, any time of their leadership that God was leading them, they were never abandoned by God. It might have looked like it. They might have felt like it. But there was not a moment ever that God abandoned them. As a matter of fact, they got thirsty. And it says he split rocks. He split the rocks. And he split them in the wilderness. And he's going to split rocks in your wilderness. For your need, for your thirst. He said, Moses, strike that rock. Water came out of it. That's a wonder. You got to wonder, how'd that happen? Because you could take a sledgehammer and strike a rock. As we say in the vernacular in the south, till the cows come home. You're not going to get water out of that rock. Because it had nothing to do with the striking had something to do with the God providing. He said he split the rocks in the wilderness so that they could drink abundantly. The scripture says there were streams. It wasn't just a trickle. Y'all been down the interstate or somewhere and you've seen the rock walls and water trickling. No, it was streams. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew, it says flowings. There were flowings of water coming out of that rock. It had nothing to do with the rock. It has something to do with the God who sent it. It said that it would it flow down like rivers. And immediately I thought of John 7. Rivers of living water. Live, he who is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come unto me. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. How does that happen? I don't know. I just know that it happens. I just know that everyone 
who's, who knows God and has any experience with God knows of a time in your life when you knew that rivers of living water were just quenching your thirst. And then it's interesting that Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 10, but he refers to it in a different way. He says, speaking of the same group, he said, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. You see, the birth of Christ was an incarnation, not his beginning. He did. That's not, Jesus didn't begin in the manger. The, Jesus has no beginning. The rock was Christ. In other words, here we are looking at this, this experience of the children of Israel, and we're seeing what God is doing. But Paul tells us through the work of the Holy Spirit that what really was going on was that Christ, this is, this is a, a Christophany, Christophany, Christophany. There we go. I could say it. Christophany, where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Christ is following them. Come on, Holy Spirit. Say it louder. Christ was following them. Christ is following you. In your wilderness. Maybe even in your promised land, Christ is always following you. I don't mean following you in the sense that he's your disciple, but following you around by his presence. Jesus was ever present with them. So I only thought Jesus showed up in the New Testament. Well, I did a whole series of teachings one time on all the appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And I couldn't even get to all of them. And I want to tell you that Jesus is ever-present with you. So, well, I don't sense him. Well, that's because we give our attention to other things, to surrounding nations. We give our attention to other inclinations. And yet... As the song says, he was there all the time. Jesus was ever present with them. Why? To supply their need for water. So did God really care about them drinking water? Well, yeah, he made them. Remember what we talked about? God made us. And one of the things, one of the ways he made us was that we require water. We don't drink water, we die. You can go a long time without eating food, but you can't go a long time without drinking water. I wonder why God did that. I don't know. It's his business, but he made us that way. So God says it's important that you drink water. By the way, some of you need to be drinking more water. You're drinking other things made from water. I'll just leave that alone. We read this whole account, and I hope that we learn what we should be doing, not focus on what they didn't do or what they weren't supposed to be doing. We read this whole account 
of the children of Israel and the mistakes they made, the errors they made, the forgetting God that they did. In the very first words of the next verse, of verse 17, yet they still went on to sin against him. Now, how how can you, all of this that I just went through, I'm not going to go through it again. How do you see all of that, experience all of that, and yet you still go on to sin against him? It's because we're human beings and we give ourselves to human things. That's what they did. Or God so blessed them that they said, oh, this is good. We can do what we want to now. We can live how we want to. It doesn't matter. There are other verses I started to use today and I didn't want to get too negative in this thing. But basically it said, and if you do forget, you're not going to like what the results. Let's just say it that way. They went on to sin against him. So here we are, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. New covenant, covenant nonetheless. We have an advantage they did not have, and that advantage is we have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. They did not have that. They did not have Him. Paul had the Holy Spirit, and yet he still struggled. And when I say Paul struggled, he didn't, he wasn't defeated. Remember the very first verse of chapter 8? Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Here we are. We have the wherewithal. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Let's walk that way. Let's live that way with the help of that Holy Spirit that's in us. Stand with me.